I'm Brett McGarry. This week on the Couch Potatoes with Toy Story 4 out, one of my buddies says to me the other day, hey, what are your top five Disney Pixar movies? So I thought about it, and today, the Couch Potatoes are counting them down. Plus, I'm Jeff Braun. I'll tell you about another newish movie I saw in theaters this week, Nightlife. And Jeff checked out a pair of OBG movies. Whoa. Remember OBG from Master T for Much Music? Nope, did it stand for It's an oldie but a goodie, baby. Oh, yeah. Let's begin. New from Maple Leaf Toys. Who's a Canuck with all the luck? Now you can bring home Duke Kaboom. Who's the most spectacular daredevil Canada has ever seen? Are you kidding? It's a commercial. It's not real. I can't jump that far. Yeah. Huh. Yes. Huh? He's posing. I have a question. Well, actually, not just one. I have all of them. I have all the questions. Kaboom. Rated G. That's from Toy Story 4. We haven't seen it yet. We will, though. So in the meantime, let's count down our favorite Disney Pixar movies, and then we'll find out if Toy Story 4 manages to eventually infiltrate those lists. And number five on my list is The Incredibles 2. We should call Lucius. Hey, Bob. Lucius, suit up. It might get weird. I'll be there ASAP. Where you going ASAP? You better be back ASAP. On June 15th. Brace yourself! The Incredibles. Yeah, baby. Are back. Now! Hey. That is freaky. Incredibles 2. Rated PG. In last year's sequel to the 2004 original, the family of superheroes once again has to save the world. This time the mom, Elastigirl, takes on the main hero role, while Mr. Incredible stays home to take care of the kids, and eventually they're all called upon to save the day. They also discover the baby has some very interesting hero superpowers, namely all the superpowers and no way to control them. I will admit to some recency bias on this when I saw it just a few weeks ago. I saw the original years and years ago, and I remember not liking it. I don't know why, but it just didn't do it for me. I suspect if I watch it again, I'd probably like it a bit more. Incredibles 2, I thought, was fantastic. The retro design of everything looks super cool. This is also the third biggest movie last year, taking in more than $600 million in North America, behind only Black Panther and Avengers Infinity War. Those movies were talked about ad nauseum by everybody, including us, Brett. It feels like The Incredibles 2 sort of flew under the radar. Yeah, I had... $600 million movie. I know. It, it went almost buzz-free, but it just plowed along, making tons and tons yeah. of money. It was a movie I intended to see in theaters, never got around to. Finally started watching it last week on Netflix, and you bringing it up now reminded me that we actually had to stop the movie 15 minutes in, Oh yeah, and never got back to it. Worth going back to it. So, alright, let's check out my number five. It's one of Disney Pixar's most recent efforts from November 2017. It's Coco. A boy with a dream. I'm gonna be a musician! A dog with a bone. Magical note that led far from home. Welcome to the land of your ancestors. Ah, you're alive! This Thanksgiving. From the creators of Finding Dory and Inside Out. You've got to get home by sunrise. Look, I'm turning into a skeleton. You have to loosen up. <laughs> Disney Pixar Coco. 
It's the first offering from Disney Pixar to feature an all-Latino cast. Coco is about a young aspiring musician named Miguel. He wants to be like his great-grandfather. And after visiting what looks like his great-grandfather's tomb and playing his guitar on Dia de los Muertos, no less, i.e. Day of the Dead, he ends up somewhere else. The Land of the Dead, where everyone is a skeleton, much like you would see on the Mexican holiday Day of the Dead. Land of the Dead, very much like the Land of the Living. Everyone still works the same jobs they used to, but now they're dead. But Miguel is still alive, along with his dog Dante. And there's a problem. If he doesn't make it back by sunrise, he will join the Land of the Dead. The voice cast includes Gael Garcia Bernal, Benjamin Bratt, Edward James Olmos, Gabriel Iglesias, and Cheech Marin, just to name a few. And as with all Disney Pixar movies, it's incredibly imaginative, just jam-packed with colorful details, but more importantly, a touching family story that, yes, it made me cry. I think the one minor quibble I had with this one is it just felt kind of predictable at times, but otherwise just a brilliant effort. Number four on my list is Toy Story 3. Aloha! The worldwide phenomenon continues. Toy Story 3 is the movie to see this summer. Just go with it, Buzz. It's a masterpiece. You'll wonder why every movie can't be this good. Disney Pixar's Toy Story 3. Rated G. Now playing in 3D. Actually, I should say that the Toy Stories are my number four. They all sort of blend together. It's been since 2010 since I've actually seen any of them, and I'm pretty sure I watched all three in the same week, so I couldn't really tell you which parts happened and which. Always fun adventures, though, and a fun world to visit. I know you'll have more to say about Toy Story in a bit, Brett. I do remember thinking that if Toy Story 3 had won the Oscar that year, it was nominated, I wouldn't have minded the King's Speech won, and I do sort of mind that. I still want to see the fourth one, like we mentioned. Uh, hopefully we can get to it in the theater. Or you have a problem with the King's Speech winning that year? Yeah. Which one should have won? Social Network should have won that year. Oh, the Social Network. Interesting. That was a tough year. There were a lot of just outstanding. There there are always outstanding, I guess, but yeah, 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 yeah. that was a really, really good year, I remember. At my number four from June 2015, Inside Out. Do you ever look at someone and wonder, what is going on inside their head? Signal the husband. Uh Uh-oh. What did she say? Oh, uh, sorry, sir. No one was listening. I'm Joy. This is sadness. That's anger. This is disgust. Uh, And that's fear. Ah! Where are your emotions? This one focuses on an 11-year-old girl named Riley. And in this world, our emotions are characters who work out of headquarters, kind of like a mission control in our brain. Riley's life was happy until her family moves from Minnesota to San Francisco and everything changes. And it happens as she is approaching adolescence, so things are now happening in her brain that even her emotions can't figure out. It's such a unique and interesting way to portray how the mind works, especially the mind of a kid who is going through such a transition both internally and externally. It also has fun with how we mix facts and opinions as well as a great gag on why do random songs pop into our heads like old jingles. It has wonderful voice work from Amy Poehler as Joy, Phyllis Smith as Sadness, Bill Hader as Fear, Mindy Kaling as Disgust, and Louis Black as the hot-headed anger. My favorite though is Richard Kind as Riley's imaginary friend Bing Bong. His performance was actually really touching. The whole movie is very touching. I laughed, I cried, I felt all the emotions portrayed on screen and then some. It's a masterpiece, yet another slam dunk for Disney Pixar. And coming up, as it turns out, Jeff's number three is my number one. So we'll get to that next. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. 
Brett McGarry, Jeff Braun, we are the Couch Potatoes. We're counting down our favorite Disney Pixar movies this week because Toy Story 4 is out. So far, we've gone through Incredibles 2, Coco, Toy Story 3. Well, all those Toy Stories for Jeff sort of lumped them all together. Inside Out. And up next for me at number three is a movie that goes back to November 2011, Monsters, Inc. Since the very first bedtime, all around the world, children have known that once their mothers and fathers tucked them in and shut off the light, that there are monsters hiding in their closets, waiting to emerge. But what they don't know is, it's nothing personal. It's just their job. Whoa! Ah! nobody here. Huh? There's, there's no kid. There's supposed All to be a kid. Right. There's no kid to scare. Panic. I'm panicking because well, there's no, a total no, no, lack no, of kid here. Let's just check the schedule. It's very embarrassing. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me see. Nine o'clock. Yep, nine o'clock. Boys bedroom? Boys bedroom. Out of Magnolia? <sighs> Magnolia? Give me that. It's Mongolia. Mike, does this look like Mongolia to you? Monsters, Inc. stars Billy Crystal as the little green and one-eyed Mike and John Goodman as the big blue furry Sully. The monsters live in this world that gets its energy from the fear they generate by scaring human children. They cross over from their world into our own through the kids' bedroom closet. The big joke, though, is that the monsters are actually scared of the kids, and when one of the kids manages to follow Mike and Sully back through, all hell breaks loose. Looking back on this one, the animation is not nearly as crisp as the stuff that's made these days, but it is still an amazing movie. Such a wonderful story. It was actually re-released in theaters in 3D in 2012, ahead of the prequel which came out in the summer of 2013, Monsters University, which I confess and I can't believe I'm saying this given how much I love the original. I did not see the prequel. I guess I got to get on that. All right. Well, I'm sort of in a similar boat with my next one. Number two on my list, Brett, is 2003's Finding Nemo. I promise I will never let anything happen to you, Nemo. On September 14th, for the first time in theaters in breathtaking 3D. Sweet. Totally. All the adventure. Hello. All the wonder. Hi, Elmo. Nemo. The Nemo. All the heart. Love you, Dad. Disney Pixar's Finding Nemo 3D. Dad, you can let go now. Sorry. September 14th, rated G. Finding Nemo is about a little clownfish who separated from his father, and both of their efforts to reunite, the dad played by Albert Brooks, goes on an adventure in the ocean befriending Dory, played by Ellen, who would get her own sequel a few years later, and a couple of sharks. Nemo, meantime, has been scooped up out of the ocean and is in an aquarium at a dentist's office, and somehow... They do reunite. I remember when they put that fish in the aquarium, I was just like, well, this is insane. The rest of the fish are in the ocean and he's on dry land. I, I Like real life anxiety was like, how is this ever going to work out for this fish? It just cannot happen. And I was actually babysitting at the time I first saw it. It was like, oh, I'll put it on for the kid. And I got real into it. And I was all choked up all the way through it sad for this poor little fish and I was trying not to cry because I didn't because I need the kid to like respect my authority or whatever 
Like if I fr- if I cry in front of him, he won't do what I say when I tell him what to do. So, but it just really got to me, and I just I just loved it ever since. Uh, and I honestly don't remember a lot of the fine plot points because it was some time ago. But it did just sort of gut me. And I still like you haven't seen Monsters University. I haven't seen Finding Dory yet. So I got one to do there, and that thing was a big hit. Like was that two years ago, right? So, yeah, smash hit. Yeah, I don't know that I've actually seen it either, which means I probably oh. didn't. I would. I, I often will see movies and then forget what the details are, but not remembering if I've seen a movie entirely. Uh, yeah, I guess I never did get around to seeing Finding Dory. But I do want to go back after that heartfelt explanation of just how much Finding Nemo meant to you. It was, it was a good one, yeah. And I, if, if I get, it's like a Pavlov's dog or whatever. If I see like a picture of one of these little clownfish, I just get it like immediately like, oh, really? Is it okay? <laughs> Oh my God, Jeff should Braun! I, should I steal it from the store and throw it in the ocean? <laughs> There's a secret sauce spot in Jeff Braun that I did yeah, not know about. Look at that. Hey, at number two for me, and picking which of the final two would be my favorite was near impossible. So we'll go back to June 2008. For no, I think it was 2010. 2010. 2010. Pardon me. 2008 is the next one. This, this, so this one's June 2010. As Jeff mentioned, it was nominated for Best Picture at the Oscars. Toy Story 3. Andy's going to college. Can you believe it? What are you going to do with these old toys? Don't you get it? We're finished. Obsolete. Over the hill. Now, come on, guys. We all knew this day was coming. We're getting thrown away. No, no one's getting thrown away. We ain't ever getting played with. Hold on. This is no time to be hysterical. It's the perfect time to be hysterical. Should we be hysterical? Yes. Maybe, but not right now. Come on. Let's see how much we're going for an EB. Now, as you heard, Andy's all grown up now. He's off to college. So the toys led by Tom Hanks and Woody, as Woody and Tim Allen as Buzz Lightyear are worried what's going to happen to them. They get donated to Sunnyside Daycare, where the toys are led by Ned Beatty as Lotso Huggin' Bear. And another toy at the daycare is Ken, voiced by Michael Keaton, who we're going to be talking about a bit later on. At first, things look great at the daycare, but they quickly learn it is not a democracy. Lotso isn't the leader, he is the dictator, and he rules with a fuzzy fist. I cry like a baby multiple times watching this movie. It is so powerful and so touching. I think it should have won Best Picture that year. And I just don't know how they keep doing it with these Toy Stories, but they are amazing, so I need yeah. to see Toy Story 4 now! And everyone says 4 is just as good as 3, if not better, and it fits in perfectly with these things, so I guess they just can't go wrong yet with the Toy Stories. Alright, we're on to our favorite Pixar movies of all time, and my favorite is from 2009. It's called Up! Disney Pixar presents its 10th film and its first in 3D. Hello, boys! On May 29th, discover a lost world. Ah, shoot! Go on, beat it! Ah. With the last two guys Get who should be there. Does anyone know where they are? Disney Pixar's Up! Their 3D adventure takes off May 29th. Up tells the story of an old man on a long-awaited adventure. He's a widower, Carl. He hooks 100,000 balloons up to his house and flies it to South America where he meets some strange friends along the way and then gets in a fight with another old man. The intro, the telling of the story, old man... 
telling the story of the old man's life leading up to this moment is beautiful and heartbreaking. It's among the most perfect setups to a movie I've ever seen, and it's silent. No dialogue, but you understand every single thing going on. Then the thing with the house and the balloons, it's very inspired stuff, and it looks amazing. It was cool in 3D. I'm not usually big on 3D. In animation, it's cool, and with this, it was even cooler. Uh, there's a lot of funny stuff in the movie as well. The kid, the dog, Doug, and the bird, Kevin, are just funny and insane. And then there's this big action scene at the end aboard a fancy blimp, which made me a little bit nauseous because uh, it's up in the air. It's flying like that. I got, it goes into angles and stuff. And Fear of Heights will do it to you there. And I just loved all of it. I gave this movie the full sectional. It's my favorite Pixar movie. All right. And my favorite Disney Pixar movie is, in fact, from 2008... 700 years into the future, mankind will leave our planet, leaving Earth's cleanup in the hands of one incredible machine. Wally, short for Waste Allocation Load Litter Earth Class. He was on Jeff's list at number three, on my list at number one. He is the last robot left on Earth. He spends his days cleaning up the planet one piece of trash at a time. Humans have left the planet because we wrecked it. So over the course of 700 years, Wally develops a personality, and he's more than just a little lonely. But then he spots Eve, a sleek and shapely probe sent back to Earth on a scanning mission. Smitten Wally embarks on his greatest adventure yet when he follows Eve across the galaxy. It's incredible, and I gave this one as well... The Sectional. In fact, I gave four of these movies the sectional, oh. with Coco being the exception. Wow. So, yeah, I always have high expectations for Disney Pixar, and they almost always hit the, go way beyond my expectations. Yeah, I was looking at their entire list, and I think I've seen one of the Cars movies. I didn't care much for that, but other than that, I liked every one I've seen. So I need to see Toy Story 4 soon. And up next, we're going to tell you about a major anniversary this week. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff, he's Brett, and we're going to talk about a movie now that we've been watching for quite some time. Don't kill me! Don't kill me, man! Don't kill me! Don't kill me, man! I'm not going to kill you. I want you to do me a favor. I want you to tell all your friends about me. What are you? I'm Batman. From the things that make us feel old file, this week marked the 30th anniversary of the original Michael Keaton Batman movie. Yikes. The movie, of course, also starred Jack Nicholson as the Joker. Tell me something, my friend. You ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight? What? I always ask that of all my prey. I just like the sound of it. And like I said, of course, Keaton played Batman. Excuse me. Have you ever danced with the devil in the pale moonlight? It was one of my favorite movies as a young teenager. I was 13 when it came out back in 1989, and I was utterly amazed by it. I watched it again last night. It still mostly holds up. I like the blend of darkness while still retaining some of the comic book campiness, mostly with the Joker henchman on that uh, front. The director, Tim Burton, did good by the character. The look of the movie is still very cool with the bleak, monstrous Gotham City architecture. It's actually about the last place you'd ever want to live in. They did win an Oscar for the set design, by the way. Uh, And Keaton, people were not sure about that, and that was before the internet. I remember at the time, people were like, this is insane, and that's before there was like chat rooms for, like, this was like people on the street when I was a kid. Wow. Yeah, it was like, and then I read a note yesterday. 
that Warner Brothers got 50,000 angry letters about it before anyone saw a frame. They really? Just heard Keaton's Batman and people, the nerds started writing letters the old-fashioned old way. And then he turned out to be the best Batman, uh, at least until Christian Bale came along, maybe the best ever, a lot of people would say. Jack is a Joker, of course, that's still one of the classic superhero villain uh, movie roles. Uh, Heath Ledger was amazing as the Joker well, of course, and I think the two movies are different enough that it's weird to try to compare them. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. This Batman movie was also felt like the bridge between those old Christopher Reeve Superman movies and the superhero movies that we have today. The good thing about Batman, especially here, of course, is that it didn't require a lot of CGI. It's not magical. It doesn't need to fly or shoot webs or lasers or anything. just needs a car and a few practical gadgets and, of course, the amazing set and suit design, and you can make a pretty good Batman movie, no problem. And that Danny Elfman theme oh, yeah. that we're listening to right now, it's got that little kick at the end, I think. Yeah, I love that theme. Yeah, biggest movie of 1989, by the way, by a long shot. $251 million, which is nothing by today's standards. But at the time, like, it was way ahead of Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade at number two, which had $197 million. It's opening weekend, and this is interesting as well, how things have changed. $40 million, which is nothing today, but at the time, it oh, was yeah. the biggest opening of all time. And by a mile, the previous record holder, from what I can tell, actually opened only one week earlier, and that was Ghostbusters 2 with $29.5 million. That's like, uh, what was it, 2015 here? Or like where the Fast and the Furious 7 broke a bunch of records, and then Jurassic World broke all those records? Like oh, really? A month later, and then later in the year, one of the Marvel movies broke even all those records. So. Yeah, I just, I, I, like you, Jeff, I loved this movie when I was a kid. It was, and I remember the hype around this film was huge. It was such a massive event. Yeah, that must might have been the first big marketing thing we were exposed to, on, on, certainly at that degree. Oh, yeah. Like, I, I don't, I had never, I didn't remember anything of that magnitude. I remember the t-shirt that I got. It was this, like, thick black t-shirt that was way too hot to wear outside. <laughs> I still remember riding my bike on a hot summer day, and I was just cooking in that shirt, but... I was so proud to have it because it was emblazoned with the Batman movie symbol, so I just didn't care. And I actually even remember first seeing the trailer for it. Like, I had, as you mentioned, pre-internet. I was a kid. I had no idea this movie was coming. I just thought, wow, Batman movie. That's what I remember about seeing the poster because there was one version of the poster, the initial poster, that just had that logo on it. Yeah. Didn't have any words. I think maybe it probably had a date at the bottom or something like that. And I just remember staring at it going, there's a Batman movie coming up. This is awesome. <laughs> and it's uh, it's also hard for me to be objective on this, too, at least in the sense that whether it holds up over exactly. time. Uh, I will openly say I think there are a lot of aspects of this movie that simply don't hold up. Like there, I think there are some of, some of the parts of this movie are just flat out lazy, bad filmmaking, bad writing, uh, like some parts that are just dumb. Like here's an example. When they finally crack the code of the how like – People are dying from yeah, their because they're chemicals. Yeah, so Bruce uh, Bruce Wayne does his because you know, he's the world's greatest detective. He and he's a, apparently a scientist and a master chemist, and he figures out. And the combination was okay. We have breaking news, uh, and he, like he sends in this big package of information. Don't use these product combinations, and it was like. Don't use soap, shampoo, and uh, toothpaste, or however it goes. It was yeah, like yeah. three things. Yeah. It was, That's it? It was weird. They really, really glossed over that quickly just to get to the big showdown at the end, I guess, or whatever. Yeah, and that's fine, but it just it's, it was corny, and it's, it's funny how 
something that I loved so much, I can now look at it and be really sort of nitpicky about it and critical, but whatever. Uh, it still looked cool. I think another problem, too, for me that I always had with this is the Joker is in this movie more than Batman. It's a Batman movie, and Batman, compared to the Joker, is not really in that movie. I bet you Bane is in The Dark Knight Rises more than Batman. Oh, Batman? He disappears from that movie for like an, barely in that movie. He disappears for like an hour and a half. Yeah. It feels like. Yeah, that, that's a part of the thing that really bugs me about The Dark Knight Rises. Is there's almost no Batman in a, basically a three-hour movie. Anyway, that's a, an entirely separate rant. Uh, also worth pointing out, Batman, Tim Burton edition, only had a 71% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. But I think yeah. you could certainly argue that this was the movie that created our current not just superhero movie environment, but just the current movie environment of blockbuster filmmaking. I agree. Definitely launched the modern superhero movie era. I mean, and yes, it took some time to really pick up steam because after Batman, you had movies like Dick Tracy, The Shadow, The Rocketeer. wasn't until the late 90s when movies like Blade and Spawn came out. And then finally, if Batman lit the fuse in 1989, the dynamite exploded in 2002 when Spider-Man arrived. Yeah, and also, like, because there were the sequels of Batman Returns and then Batman Forever and Batman and Robin, and those movies just progressively get worse, Yeah, obviously. And by the time Batman and Robin came out in 1997, everyone just thought, well, guess that's it for superhero movies because that thing sucked. Yeah. And there was, and then there was, like, a gap. It was three years later that X-Men movie came out, yep. and people were like, oh, this could work. And then, like you said, 2002, Spider-Man came out and all bets were off. Yeah, and Batman also showed Hollywood that you don't need a huge star when the source material is big enough, because as Jeff pointed out, 50,000 angry people writing Warner Brothers to complain about Michael Keaton, turns out he was really good in the role, and it was a dark, violent movie aimed at adults. Maybe not necessarily aimed at adults, but aimed at a more mature audience. It definitely wasn't a superhero movie for kids, uh, at least not directly. I had a big fight with my mom about whether or not I could see that movie. Really? It was PG-13 or whatever, and I was 13, and somebody had told her, oh, you shouldn't let your kid watch it kind of thing because it's too violent. And it was, I think it ended up being the first movie I owned on VHS. Really? Oh, yeah. Whenever they weren't home, I was watching it. (laughs) Oh, good for you. You didn't see it in theater? No. Oh, man, I saw it in movie theater. Lucky. Yeah, my dad. I saw Jedi in theater. Why couldn't I see Batman? Yeah. Yeah, Jedi was pretty. How old were you when you saw Jedi? Like seven. Yeah, that was. I was scared when I saw Return of the Jedi. I actually. I saw Return of the Jedi when I was six. Uh, and then uh, we had to leave when the Rancor monster came out because I was a chicken. Yep. And then I felt Lots bad all monster. week long. And I told my dad, I, I'm sorry, we, I made you leave. Can we go back and see it again? So when the Rancor monster came out, I took a deep breath and I was like, I'm not going to be. I was scared, but I made it. Anyway. Uh, yeah. So as far as Batman goes, LOL, distracted. You could argue indeed that because that movie was not a superhero movie aimed directly at kids, that's the trend now. They All of these superhero movies are not aimed. They're not made specifically for kids. Kids can enjoy them, yes, but they're definitely made for uh, more mature audience for adults. And until that point, comic book stuff was always stuff that was just you know dumped off in the kids. Yep. And now they're for everybody. Yeah. And this Batman movie, like there's S words in it and there a whole lot of the like 
he shoots so many people. Yeah. Like, just shoots them with a gun. And it's like, even now, you don't see a whole lot of that in superhero movies. And is it not Batman? I think one of the, what's the line? Is it, never rub another man's rhubarb? Yep, that's in there. It's a class. I can't remember the context <laughs> of them, of that line, but. Also, uh, this town needs an enema. It's a good one. <laughs> that's right. Uh, and you, I'm a number one guy. <laughs> Up next, Jeff Braun's going to tell us if late night is going to be his number one for this week. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. Went to the th- movies this week, and I saw the movie called Late Night. That's our show, everyone. Who are you? I'm Molly. I'm a new writer. A new female writer. Yeah, I can see that. It's like I'm- I am being replaced as host of this show. What is wrong with my bits? They're a little old and white. Do you watch my show? Uh, uh. Okay. Late Night is nothing short of fabulous. I'm not going anywhere. Emma Thompson is spectacular. Mindy Kaling is hilarious. I need you, Molly. You love me. No, I didn't say that. Late Night, in cinemas June 7. As you heard, it stars Emma Thompson and Mindy Kaling. It was also written by Kaling. And it also stars John Lithgow and Hugh Dancy. Now, Brett Dancy, we remember as a severely disturbed Will Graham from the Hannibal TV show. Yes. Here he plays a comedy writer and a stand-up comic. And it was super weird to watch. I had only seen him in Hannibal and had him locked in with that role. And Will Graham was not a guy who enjoyed comedy. So, I, I honestly, it took me halfway through the movie to convince myself that was even him. I was like, oh, that looks like the guy from Hannibal, but that doesn't make any sense. That can't be him. He's such a versatile actor. Yeah. Reed Scott from Veep is also in it, as is Max Casella, who was Doogie Howser's friend, but now he's 52, and it took me half the movie to figure out why he looked familiar, too. Okay. So the movie is about a fading late-night TV show host and her effort to get her career back on track. It's all this behind-the-scenes stuff at a Tonight Show kind of thing, and I spent a lot of the movie wondering if anyone would even really care about that. It seems pretty inside baseball for the talk show industry. I know some of the talk show hosts have been making hay with their political commentary the past couple of years, although honestly I haven't heard anything on that front in months now either. And outside of James Corden's carpool karaoke, there haven't been a whole lot of viral videos coming from the late night shows lately. I sort of stopped watching them after Dave Letterman and Jon Stewart retired, although this year I did start watching Conan more. He's revamped his show considerably, though he's cut it in half and it's a bit of a different animal than it used to be. The basic premise of the movie, though, is this. Thompson's show has become stagnant, ratings are down, she's phoning it in and so are all of her writers, some of whom have never even met her. To say that she's disconnected is an understatement, so the network decides she'll be replaced next year and they tell her so. Now, the movie kind of doesn't make sense at this point. She clearly doesn't care about the show anyways. She's had a long run, won a bunch of awards and made a boatload of money. Just retire, lady. But no, she decides she needs to save her job and sets out to do just that. So the stakes are kind of super low. It's worst case scenario is a millionaire retires after an award-winning career. They try to make more of it like her soul's at stake or something but I wasn't really buying it but hey it's comedy so as long as it's funny I can overlook that sort of stuff sadly it's not very funny I laughed a couple of times but not many in some respects they're kind of behind the eight ball because when the characters are delivering monologue jokes or doing stand-up comedy things that are supposed to be funny funny it's harder to actually be funny if that makes sense um the movie's written by Mindy Kaling from the Mindy show and office fans remember her as Kelly Kapoor of course and she co-stars as a new writer on Thompson's show most of the laughs come from this fish out of water scenario as she is this wide-eyed innocent thrown in with all these jaded writers she's also the only woman and minority on the 
staff. John Lithgow plays Emma Thompson's ailing husband. He's only in a few scenes, but he's terrific as the soft-spoken, gentle soul, sort of the opposite of Thompson. Works well, and he has great chemistry with Thompson and with Kaling. They have pretty good chemistry together as well. So the performances are good. It's just a little tired in the comedy, and the story stakes I just thought weren't there. So two and a half couch cushions out of five for Late Night. For what it's worth, the audience I saw it with seemed to enjoy it more than I did, although my girlfriend enjoyed it decidedly less than I did. Okay. Well, that's interesting. But So that's the new movie you yeah. watched. Watched a couple of OBGs, as they say. Uh, old goodies, is that what you said it was? Yeah. Yeah. As part of my quest this year to watch movies that I should have seen by now, I cracked a couple of Harrison Ford classics this week. Get down! From the shadows of secrecy. There's never been a terrorist attack on American soil, Jack. To the light of day. I'm after the man who tried to kill my family. From the outposts of terror. He's never going to let us go, is he? To the closeness of home. I don't care what you have to do. You just get him. Based on the best-selling novel. Come on! Harrison Ford. Patriot Games. The games begin June 5th. Rated R. Yeah, I watched Patriot Games and Clear and Present Danger for the first time ever. They came out in the early 90s. There are action thrillers, I guess we call them. Neither had a lot of action. I always thought they were action movies, but a lot of it is, you know, him in a suit and tie at the CAA trying to figure stuff out. International intrigue and that sort of thing. I really love both of them. Probably Patriot Games a little bit more because it's a little leaner and meaner. Uh, Clear and Present Danger takes a few extra twists and turns to get there, and it's also two hours, 20 minutes so it's a little long. Patriot Games was more straightforward and gets to the point. Uh, I thought they were both great, though, and I'm actually really glad I waited until now to see them. I'm 43. I was a teenager when they were first released, and I don't think teenage Jeff would have enjoyed them nearly as much as 43-year-old Jeff did. These are great movies for guys our age, Brett, so it sort of worked out for me in that uh, manner. And I'm actually going to try to compile a list of other movies that are fall in similar veins that I missed out on that I should have seen by now. Did you like so, Alec Baldwin more or Harrison Ford as I've not Jack seen Ryan? The Hunt for Red October. What? No. You've never seen The Hunt for no. Red October? Oh, man. I, that, I should put that on my list. That's a movie where if I, it doesn't matter what I'm doing, if, if the, like I don't flip channels that often, but if I am flipping channels in The Hunt for Red October, yeah. can, I, that's my, that's the rest it? of my day is that's shot. That's the one, eh? I love that movie. And uh, so you got to see The Hunt for Red October. I saw I, half of The Sum of All Fears. That's with Ben Affleck and, uh, is and it? And there's uh, Shadow Recruits. Uh, uh, Morgan Freeman's in that one too. Yes. Yeah. Shadow Recruits with, uh, so, Chris my, Pine. My, yeah, so my Jack Ryan uh, list has got a few more entries on it. Which one? Well, you obviously like Hunt for Red October the best. I've only seen the Hunt for Red October. I haven't seen You the haven't seen two. these ones either? <laughs> Come on. No, I haven't seen either of them. People use, I thought my <laughs> other friends like make fun of me for not see, having not seen them, so I thought I was really missing out on anything. Well, I highly retro, uh, recommend Patriot Games. You know who the bad guy is in that? Sean Bean. Young oh, Sean Bean. sweet. Young, lean, trim Sean Bean. It's really, it was odd to look at him because I've... Uh, the first time I saw him, honest to God, was Lord of the Rings. Okay. And that's a good 10 years after Patriot Games. So. Hey, we'll just quickly tell you as well that Shazam is out on digital HD this upcoming week, July 2nd. Did you see Shazam? No. I did not either. It looked great, got good reviews, did, yeah. did fairly well at the box office, looked like the winner. And I guess, oh my God, July 2nd, that's the day that Spider-Man Far From Home is out. Yeah, I just realized that today too. I was like, does that really come out like in just a few days? I still thought of it as being like a month away. Yeah, I guess they're opening it before the midweek because, you know, the Americans are going to take like 19 days off in a row for july 4th lucky them that's all the time we've got i'm brett he's jeff we are the couch potatoes remember if it requires getting up off the couch don't bother